It's good to be back with you. Amen. Amen. But we're going to resume our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. Go to chapter 6. This chapter, remember, it begins with the corruption of mankind. Who The sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they took them wives, all which they chose, and through the corruption of the family, the earth became corrupt and filled with violence. It all starts in the home. Man became so corrupt that we read in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it grieved the heart of God. That's what the Bible says. But God is holy. And there comes a point when God must deal with sin. There comes a time for judgment. If you're in Christ, our Lord took God's judgment for you. Amen. If you're outside of Christ, He still took it for you. You just haven't received it. But God has to deal with these things. And so the Lord said in verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And we saw how out of all humanity, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah sought for grace and he found it because our Lord is merciful and gracious. Our Lord has promised that if you will seek for Him, you will find Him. And you may be one here this morning that's lost and you're seeking. You keep seeking because He promised you'll find me. God would spare Noah and his family because God saw that Noah was a just man, that he was perfect in his generations, and that he walked with God. And God revealed to Noah his plan to destroy the earth. In verse 17, he he said, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. We talked last time that if Noah wanted to be spared, then he would have to do something. God said to Noah, make thee an ark. And this was going to have to be a work of faith. Hebrews eleven seven 7, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So we can't just be hearers of the word of God. We must be a doer of the Word of God. Remember James said, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. (laughs) That's a drop-the-microphone verse. We should be able to demonstrate our faith by our action. And so it was with Noah. We find a man who had faith in God, faith in God's Word, and his faith led him to work. Noah had a living faith. Can you say the same thing this morning? Let's begin today by reading verses 13 through 22 of Genesis chapter 6. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, 
the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with the lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Of fowls after their kind and of cattle after their kind. Of every creeping thing on the earth, no thank you, after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And if you're alive today, you're thankful for that verse. That'll be another message. We see in verse 14 that God tells Noah, make thee an ark. What's an ark? Well, most think of an ark as a boat, but an ark is literally defined as a box. So this isn't a boat. All the, all the nice pictures we have, the murals, the, you know, of course the pictures are pretty humorous, aren't they? You know, giraffes smiling, and I mean, it looks like everybody's having a party on the boat. Um, that's another message too. Um, We'll get to that probably in chapter 7. God told Moses to build an ark of shittim wood. The length was to be two and a half cubits. The breadth was to be one and a half cubits. And the height was to be one and a half cubits. And so that was the ark of the covenant. It it is a box. Moses' mother, Jochebed, placed Moses in an ark. It was a wicker box that she placed him in to float him down to where Uh, Pharaoh's daughter was. I looked up a modern definition of an ark. Just curious what it would say. And it says, the ship built by Noah. But Noah isn't building a ship. He's building an ark. This is going to be a gigantic box. Therefore, if you do an image search, you rarely come across an accurate biblical depiction of what an ark would look like. Or this ark would look like it. Maybe I should put it that way. Why all the depictions of a boat-like structure? I think it's because people try to fit the ark into what we understand makes for a worthy seagoing vessel. You know, like a transatlantic vessel. But the ark wasn't through, for cutting through the water. It just needed to float. It wasn't designed for navigation. It was designed for capacity. It wasn't designed to get somewhere. It just needed to rise with the waters. According to God's plan, the ark would not have a keel, a curved bow or stern. There was no mast or sails, no oars, no propulsion, and no rudder. And yet even creationists have a difficult time accepting the biblical dimensions of a boxed ark because they said it had to have this or that in order for it to be steered into the winds and handle the waves and and all these things to keep it from rolling over. So you see an ark like that, and you think, man, I kind of like to go on a cruise for a year. That looks pretty fun. Look at that nice picture. 
So this is the ark encounter. I'm not knocking them. I love what they do. I like answers in Genesis just fine. I hate they left the King James a few years ago, but I, I like what they're doing. So they, they put a bow and a stern on it, and they have their reasons that, you know, this thing up here on the top left would have to catch the wind. That would steer it into the waves and all these kind of things. Um, you know, whatever. Um, now, this is a little more accurate. I'm, I'm still not totally happy with this, but this is what an ark would be. It's a gigantic box. When you go to U-Haul and buy boxes, they don't have bows and sterns on it or keels. They're, they're a box. And so this would be a little more accurate. I'll, I'll tell you why I think in a little bit why I don't necessarily uh, like that. But it, it is the closest I was able to find, and that looks like some kid's thing. I mean, those are like kid dinosaurs walking into the ark there. Now, I suspect that the same God who told Noah to build the ark, and the same God who closed them into the ark, and the same God who brought the flood is more than capable of keeping the ark through the storm without our ideas of what it needed to be seaworthy or not. <laughs> so an ark is a box. It doesn't matter if we think if it makes nautical sense or not. It's God's design. It was God's judgment, and Noah was God's child, and therefore it's all going to work out just fine. The ark was to be made of gopher wood. We don't know exactly what gopher wood is. There's a lot of speculation. And it's just that, speculation. So we'll just trust that Noah knew what gopher wood was and he was able to find it and use it. Next, God says, Room shalt thou make in the ark. And we can imagine how there would need to be rooms, balance, that kind of thing. Um, you'd want to keep things separate. You don't want everything shifting around. Next, God tells Noah at the end of verse 14, pitch the ark within and without. This would have waterproofed the ark against the waters. In verse 15, God gives Noah the dimensions of the ark. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. We don't know the exact length of a cubit of those days. There's all kind of theories you can get into, and I'm not going to bore you with all that because there's a lot of generally accepted options, we'll just go with the standard 18 inches. For those who don't know a cubit, it's from your, your forearm to the tip of your, your finger, your longest finger. So that's a cubit, but usually that's around 18 inches, and that's what I'm going with, and we'll just be happy with that. And so this means the ark was approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. This is a massive structure for those days. Amen. All right, now let's have fun with the slides. So how, how long was the ark? Um, one and a half football fields in length. That's huge. What better field to use than the Bulldogs? All right, y'all don't want to hear about the Bulldogs stomping TCU. Lisa Romine, we're back in services together. It took three weeks, but we finally healed our relationship. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, Ohio State fan back there. Give her a break, everybody. All right. Um, what's the matter with this thing? I don't, I don't know how that got in there, but what, you know. What, I could watch that all day. I mean, this is beautiful. Oh, another Georgia slide. So a basketball court is 50 feet long from, you know, hoop to hoop there. So the arc was as wide as one and a half football or basketball courts are long. I'm trying to use something common that maybe you'll be able to identify with. 
the ark was 45 feet high. This is the average height of a four-story home. This is a huge structure is what I'm saying. And so in the beginning of verse 16, we read, A window shalt thou make in the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. I'm sure there's a laser pointer. So this is the window. You know, sometimes we think of a single window. It probably was this kind of a window that extended the entire length of the roof of the ark. It just says make a window above. The Hebrew word for window means double light. It actually means dual double light, but that sounded kind of weird. So I think both sides were probably letting in light, double light. Um, And so I don't think it's a window as we think of a window, but this obviously would have let light in and ventilation purposes. God then said, put a door on the side of the ark, and he said to build three levels. Obviously, to fit all the animals, all the provisions, there would need to be levels. Um, And the reason why I'm still not, you know, real happy with some of these, so the door is way up here, and there's a ramp, right? I think the door was probably the ramp, and because nobody seems to think about after it comes to rest, there would be no ramp. And I can't see a rhinoceros just jumping off 15 feet. I, don't know, I mean, God could providentially... You know. So this would have been quite an undertaking, amen? So I hope that gives you a little better understanding of what an ark was. Because of the size, the question often arises, how long did it take for Noah to build the ark? Well, we know from Genesis 6-3 that God said, My spirit shall not always strive with mankind uh, or with man. Something to that effect. What does it say? My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. And so it's generally agreed that God is saying there's going to be hundred and twenty years until I bring the flood. I'm of that opinion. I think that's what it means. There's going to be hundred and twenty years, and then the flood's going to happen. But it doesn't mean that it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Um, but that is the most common answer that you will hear. All we're getting is God's mind in verse 3. He's not speaking to Noah yet. He's just saying, 120 years and this thing's over. But here's something to consider. We know from Genesis 5.32, Noah was 500 years old when he first became a father. We know from Genesis 7-6 that Noah was in his 600th year when the flood arrived. Now what's interesting is Genesis 6-18, God tells Noah that he and his wife and his sons and their wives would be aboard the ark. God could be speaking prophetically that he was going to have these children and that they were going to get married. Or it could be that they're already born, they're already old, they're already married. Is everybody following my thinking? And so this would lower the time to build the ark to whatever age their sons were when they married. We know from Genesis 11.10, Shem was 100 years old when he begat Arphaxad. (laughs) If you're looking for a name, I know we got a lot of pregnant ladies here. Um, Arphaxad. It's great for a girl or a boy. Arphaxad. Two years after the flood. This means Shem was 98 years old when the flood occurred. And there's probably some wiggle room there because it could be after the flood, after it settled, or after the flood and when after the waters of the deep broke forth. So, so there's some wiggle room there. But 
If Shem was 98 when the flood began, then assuming he was 20 when he was married, this would leave about 78 years to actually build the ark. Not to mention there's nothing to prove that God commanded Noah and his family to enter the ark as soon as the thing was done. I mean, there's nothing that says that dogmatically. Um, it could be the ark was finished before then. So I'm done boring you with all that, amen? The fact is we aren't told how long it took, and it's impossible to nail down a time frame. Nail down? Come on, that's the best I got, amen? That's, that's funny right there. However, we are taught this in 1 Peter 3.20, that while the ark was preparing, it was the long-suffering of God. God was being long-suffering to humanity to give them time, space to repent, hear the preaching of Noah, and get their hearts right. Sometimes in connection with the question of how long um, did it take to build is the question of Noah, did he have any hired hands to help or was it just him and his family? Well, again, we aren't told, but given that this is a work of faith, I'm personally of the opinion that no unbelievers would have been involved in this undertaking. Um, I, I think you had to have faith in order to even be with this Yahoo who's building this gigantic structure out in the middle of nowhere. But that's just an opinion. So what we do know is the ark was going to be for their protection from God's wrath. And in this account of the ark, we find some clear parallels between Christ and the ark. As God was declaring His wrath to come to mankind, He's also immediately declaring the way of, es of escape. Amen. I'm going to destroy everything, make an ark. And so God gives the way of escape just as soon as He pronounces the judgment. In 2 Peter 2.5, Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And as Noah would preach of the judgment to come, he would also be able to preach this is the way of escape. We need to tell people of the judgment to come, but there is an escape. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It was the ark in their day, and Christ is our ark. God is a God of grace to offer what we don't deserve. We see in verses 14 through 16 how the ark was God's design. I touched on this briefly last time, but this is not man's design. This looks foolish to the world. By the way, preaching looks foolish to the world. You know what the Bible says? by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. It confounds the wise. And so here's a preacher of righteousness out there in a wicked world, filled with violence, filled with corruption, and he's preaching the righteousness of God, and he's building this thing that looks, it's got to look awkward. And I would imagine people are coming from miles around to come and see what in the world this guy's up to. Amen. Maybe that's why it took so long so all these people can come. And, hey, you're going to be with us? you got to come see this guy out there. He's nuts. What's he building? Some kind of an ark. I don't know. And so he would preach to them the righteousness of God. And so this was God's design, not man's. But God gave the directions. Listen, and God's plan was very clear. There was no misunderstanding what God would accept. Did you know that's still true in the Word of God? Man shall not lie with man as with womankind. What is so hard about that? It's as clear as can be. God's plan is as clear as can be. And so we, we look at uh, the, the plan of salvation. How much clearer can it be? Oh boy, that's an amen right there. I don't know who it is, but praise the Lord. Um, we're going to fill this church up with babies. I can't wait. Um, and so 
Titus 1-2 tells us that God's eternal life was promised before the world began. You see what I'm saying? The, the way of salvation has been planned well before God ever gave the judgment. Before the world began. It was foreordained before the foundation of the world, 1 Peter 1.20 says. And Revelation 13.8 says, Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It is God's plan. Man didn't come up with this. If man came up with this, we would end up with the kind of religions we see in the world today. you got to work your way. you got to be good enough. I hope the scales tip in my favor. And, and so this is God's plan. And the way of salvation is so clear for us in God's Word. God hasn't made it difficult to interpret or to understand. It's, it's so simple a child can understand. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. In other words, don't, don't hinder them coming to me. To be saved from God's wrath, we must go through Christ and His shed blood and His finished work on the cross. The Bible says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. God gave the directions to Noah. Noah followed God's directions. God gave directions to Christ. Christ followed God's directions. And in light of that, Noah here is a type of Christ. Noah didn't deviate, but he did God's will. And, and as we read in verse 22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Christ never deviated. He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. He prayed in John 17, 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Sounds a lot like verse 22 here. And of course, just before he laid down his life on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. Whoop. We also know the ark was the only hope for any to be spared from God's judgment then. And so Christ is now humanity's only hope to be spared from God's judgment to come in the future. Or maybe even when you die. He's coming back, hallelujah. But you may enter eternity before He does. The ark was God's grace extended to sinners and so Christ is, is God's grace extended to sinners. Noah deserved to be destroyed for being a sinner as well, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in God's grace, He provided the ark as a way of escape from His judgment to come. His judgment against sin. Somebody says, so you're telling me i got to go to God to be saved from God? Well, if that helps you understand it, yes. Noah and his family didn't deserve God's grace, and in our sin nature, we, we deserve the wrath of God. We don't deserve God's grace. But, but God intervened. Whoop. God stepped in. He provided a way of escape from His wrath and His judgment. And we can be delivered from the penalty of sin. We don't deserve it. We deserve to be destroyed just like they did. We don't deserve heaven, but we deserve hell. But God in His grace offers us the opposite of what we deserve. That's why we say amazing grace. We also know the entrance into the ark was free. <laughs> no one was being told they had to pay to be admitted in. No one outside of Noah's family had to spend time working on it. They didn't have to. Now, I promise you, if they were to get in, they'd probably grab a hammer and help. But they didn't have to do anything, right? And salvation through Christ is a free gift. 
You can't help with it if you wanted to. It's free. It's already provided. You're not good enough to assist in God's salvation. And, and, and just a, a hobby horse real quick, that means you're not good enough to keep it. Wait a minute, that's a Bible horse. God designed it, Christ provided it, and all you have to do is heed the message and freely enter in. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the only ones who will enter in are those who realize they deserve God's judgment. Wasn't that the problem in their day? Those who understand they can't save themselves and those who will believe the gospel of Christ. In verse 18, we see that only those who will come into the ark would be spared. Just as Noah and his family had to come into the ark to be delivered, so we need to come to Christ to be delivered. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation twenty two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And to enter the ark, there was only one door. In verse 16, God instructed Noah, And the, the door, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. There was only one way into the ark, and there's only one way to reach God. We read in John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 18 concerning Christ, for through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. Jesus is the only way in. And any who try any other way are at enmity with God. Can you picture somebody trying to throw a grappling hook up to that window? Jesus said the same as a thief and a robber. He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. There's only one door, there's only one way, and all other ways will fail. I'm not being ugly, uh, ugly telling you that, but we live in a world that's trying to convince you that, well, well really Allah is the same as our God. And, and really, we could go down the religions. That, that one just popped in my head. We could talk about them all. And, and what people are trying to convince everybody is, is we're all going to arrive at the same place because essentially we're really worshiping the same God. No, there's one way. There's but one door and those on the outside will perish. The ark is the place of safety. God says everything else will die. Those on the inside would be protected. Once we are safe within the ark of Christ, listen to me, this is good, we are secure. See, how do you know that? Because Genesis 7.16 says, the Lord shut them in. Listen, you ought to tell your, your friends that believe you can lose it, these kind of verses. The Lord shut them in. 
If the Lord shut it, you ain't getting out. And if the Lord shut it, you don't have to worry about getting out. You say, well, does that mean I can live any old way I want? No, but you can try it and you'll probably get struck down, but that's a whole other thing. John 10, 28 and 29, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. Noah could not get out. But I'll guarantee you those eight souls on the inside didn't want to get out. Because I'm about to get up in your living room on that point. Listen, they were inside and they didn't want out. And if you're genuinely in Christ, you don't want to be out. I know many have moments of doubts. I get that. I know some struggle with the assurance of their salvation early on. And it's because people always want to feel saved. But Noah was safe in the ark. It wasn't because he felt safe. He was safe because of the ark. Are you catching what I'm saying? It isn't that we always feel safe, but we are are safe because of who Christ is. Because of who our ark is. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And we see in verse 14 that the ark was to be sealed inside and out with pitch. Ephesians 1.13 In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after also ye believed. Listen. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit A promise. You can't get any more secure than that. The Bible says, I believe in the very next verse there in Ephesians, that He is the earnest of our inheritance. So what does all this mean? Anybody here ever can and you seal that jar? It it means nobody's opening that thing but God. Whoop. You're sealed. You're secure. You're preserved. It, It is God's design. It is Christ's work. It is the Holy Spirit that seals us until we arrive safely home. We find God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And some will say they see a picture of that in the three levels in the ark representing uh, the manifestation of our triune God contained in one. I'm good with that. There was a window above which obviously allowed light to shine in. Christ who is our light came down from above to shine into our hearts. And now we look above for our illumination, amen, and for our final redemption. Luke 21, 28 says, Look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. James 1, 17, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. There were rooms inside the ark. There's going to be rooms in heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. You know what that literally means? It means rooms. I know you want your mansion over the hilltop, and, and you know... I'll be fine with just a cabin over in glory land. And, uh, no, that's, that's not what it's going to be. There's going to be a place prepared for you. All right, so don't think you're going to be walking frou-frou in your yard of your mansion. That's, that's not what's... Okay, that's too deep for a lot of you, I can tell. They were saved by a wooden ark, and salvation comes through a wooden cross. Noah was told to use a certain type of wood, and Christ had to die a certain type of death. Jesus just couldn't live and die naturally and be our salvation. Did you know that? He couldn't die by hanging. He couldn't die by drowning. 
If He's to be our sacrifice, He had to die in a way that His blood would be shed for the remission of our sins. And God's not going to accept anything less than the body and blood of Christ as our sacrifice. Now obviously I'm hurrying through some of this. Listen, all this could be a series in of itself. Amen. You're getting the cleft notes. Let me bring this to a close. I want to highlight that the invitation into the ark was a limited time offer. Once the door was shut by God, that's it. There were no entries afterwards, though we can imagine many tried. Isn't that just a horrible... I mean, as you think about that. Can't you hear the people pounding on the side of that ark? Clawing to it? Doing everything they can possibly do? We were watching a a thing that I can't quite recommend yet um, on Noah's ark, and uh, it showed a mother holding up her child to the ark. Can you imagine? When God shuts that door, that's it. Listen, I got news for you. There's no purgatory. There's no amount of penance that I can say for you to get you out. I can't pay enough to get you out. Once it closes, that's it. And so our invitation into Christ is limited. Once the Lord shuts the door on your life or He returns, that's it. You say, you're trying to scare me? Well, if that's what it takes. There's no second chances after death. There are no other ways of entry, and no matter how much you may plead then, it'll be too late. The time to plead is now. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. The five foolish virgins in Matthew 25 we're not ready when the bridegroom returned. And we read in Matthew 25, verses 10 through 13. And while they went to buy, they're, they're trying to buy the oil, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Luke 13, verses 24 through 28. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know not, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping, gnashing of teeth. When ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and ye yourselves thrust out. Listen, our Lord ain't playing around. And shame on me if I don't try to give the same, same message. Listen, it'll be too late. And, and, and what Jesus is saying there in Luke 13, some people may even say, Lord, I sat in Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. 
I took the Lord's Supper with them. I ate and drank with them. I never knew you. Are you inside the ark of Christ today? The day's coming, God will close the door of opportunity and it'll be too late then. So you've got to get in now. The only door is Christ. Don't be shut out. So we invite you to accept God's simple plan. Accept Christ's finished work and be sealed by the Holy Ghost. And in so doing, you'll become a new creature in Christ. I'll say more about that in chapter 8, but they landed upon a new world, if you will. They were a new creature. If you're not in Christ today, we invite you to come to Him. Be saved. Be saved from the wrath of God that will be poured out upon all those who reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's pray.